that just tries to pull us away and drag our thoughts down, amen, but it's good to come to the house of the Lord to get that cleansing touch, amen. And I hope, friends, today you can just let go of whatever might be troubling you, amen. I just desire to see you break through and and just receive a touch from the Holy Spirit, amen. I hope you're with me this morning. If we could bring it to the key of G, here we are in His presence. Here we are in your presence, lifting holy hands to
So nice singing this morning. Amen. Let's continue in that mode of worship. I stand in awe of you. Key of F, please. You are beautiful beyond description. To marvelous Too wonderful for comprehension. Like nothing ever seen or heard Who can grasp your infinite 
special needs before the Lord. Amen. I'm going to ask Brother Danny Florian if he would be ready to take these needs to the Lord for us. Amen. I want to remember Sister Jesse Cockman in prayer this morning. Um, she's been dealing with a kidney stone. Amen. I know she's in a lot of pain. Um, our heart goes out to her. And if we could just remember her in prayer, that God would just give her a touch in her body. Amen. Deliver her from that condition. Amen. If you'll keep Brother Steve in prayer. He's in Virginia ministering. Amen. I want to remember the drum family. Um, they're not able to be with us today. Amen. The Paschal family is not with us. Brother Keith was having to work, and so we want to just remember him in prayer. Um, the Hughes. We want to remember the Hughes family in prayer. Amen. <clears throat> Also, want to remember Brother Matt Cross and his family. Uh, he is self-quarantining. 
him and the family. Um, so we want to just remember them in prayer. Um, many, uh, there's many believers today, man, that are dealing with this uh, sickness that's going around. Amen. We want to ask that God's grace and mercy. I know uh, my father has been dealing with it, and my grandmother. Amen. Uh, they're doing much better, but they still need a, a desperate touch from the Lord. Amen. And so we just want to remember these people that are that are very sick this morning. Amen. And keep them in our prayers. Amen. Uh, if you would remember Sister Carrie, Sister Carol Henley as well. She's not with us. Amen. And we miss her. And that's all that I have at this time, amen. But I know many of you probably have spoken prayer requests. Amen. You can raise your hands if you have those on your heart. And we'll pray with you. Come now, Brother Danny. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, we're so thankful that we have a house of worship that we can come for. And during these uncertain times, Lord, that this world is going through. We have this peace and comfort, Lord Father, that we can come to you, Lord, with all of our needs, Lord, whether it's sickness, mental health, financial financial problems, whatever it may be, Lord Father, there is peace and comfort in knowing that we have you to lean on and you to trust. Lord Father, you see all those hands in this building need your healing touch. They're calling out for you, Father, and we just pray now that you meet those needs, Lord. I pray now that as we transfer in, Lord, to hear your word this morning, that you speak to our hearts, Lord. We're just so thankful for you. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Brother Danny. I'm going to let you have your seats for a short period of time. And we have a special uh, sister, Rebecca Coffee, if she'd be making her way to the front. As she's making her way, why don't we sing that little song? It's been on my heart. Heartaches, I will serve thee. Key of C. I will serve thee because I
once again now, heartaches.
Sister Rebecca, for the beautiful special. Man, are you are you glad for the goodness of God? Man, I'm so glad He's faithful to His friends. Man, let's all stand. I believe the soil's been tilled very thoroughly this morning. Amen. And I hope that God comes and drops a seed in your heart. Amen. We're going to invite our pastor to come forward at this time. Amen. Remember to be faithful in your tithes and offerings. There's a a basket out in the back that you can place those in. Amen. Those go to help further God's kingdom. Amen. And support the ministry. Amen. Let's sing the song, The Splendor of the King, Key of F. The Splendor of a King Oh, the Majesty Himself in light, and darkness tries to hide, and trembles at his voice, trembles at his voice. How great is our God! Sing with me, how great is our God!
Testing one, two, three. And they all heard. We welcome all of you to the house of the Lord this morning. It's certainly an honor to be with you today. And uh, with each passing week, we do not take it for granted that we are still together, still open, and uh, still able to hold services like this. And we appreciate the opportunity to be able to uh, worship together in spirit and in truth. Uh, and I, I don't say that lightly, and uh, like I say, I don't, we don't take that for granted. I want to say this morning, it is great to have Brother Tom back with us today. Brother Tom, God bless you. We have prayed for you, and we are uh, grateful to see you, not in your normal spot, but uh, great to have you with us. Sister Kim, God bless you, and, and uh, may the Lord uh, bless all of you. We are glad to have all of you that are here today, visitors and friends, and uh, People even from Louisiana, we're glad to have uh, Brother Butts with us today and, and uh, each and every one. We're still having some folks that are uh, arriving here. So let me give you just a little card. Uh, I think of Brother Wayne here as I read this card. But uh, it says this, Dear Church Family, we appreciate the beautiful flowers that were sent during Mother's recent graduation to heaven uh, in her in her." Recent graduation to heaven service celebration. This is from the family of Sister Molly. She loved each and every one of you and spoke of you often. May we all continue to run the race with courage and look forward to the day when we join Mom on the other side. God bless you all. Drusilla, Martin, Caitlin, Kelsey, Nyla, Aaron, Paul, and Joseph. And uh, I was thankful for that little note that we received. Now, a couple of very quick announcements here this morning. Uh, we wanted to uh, remember some of the uh, saints who are not here. And uh, obviously, we we're grateful for all of you that are here. And I don't know whether we're open in the fellowship hall or not. I know we're ready. Are the people over there? And All right. So they're ready to, to do that. And uh, Sister Tracy Rabin. Uh, also, I want to clarify uh, about Brother Matt Cross, and I didn't tell Jaron this this morning, all the details here, but uh, Brother Matt and his family were in Florida two weeks ago, and they came back, and they were not uh, sick at all, but Matt had uh, a couple of respiratory symptoms, and so he took a couple of days off work. Then he found out that his company had a policy that if you had left town for two days, uh, left the state for two days, and you needed to be tested in order to come back to work. And so he never found this, this regulation out until uh, late, later this week. So he was tested, I believe, if I have the details right, he was tested on Thursday. So he does not have his results back. So uh, it'll be in the middle of next week, they believe, when he'll have his results back, and then he'll be able to go back to work. But that's the reason he was tested and in that meantime, they voluntarily quarantined themselves and just stayed for uh, isolated. And uh, so they're listening this morning. They're streaming. And uh, that's why they're not here. So Matt is not positive. Uh, he's positive. He's not positive. Uh, but uh, they, they're, they're, they, they had to test him for work uh, in order for him to be able to meet the requirements for coming back. Uh, into work again. So that's the story of Brother Matt. So they certainly miss being here and we miss them and uh, we, we certainly want to hold them up in prayer. Just trust that they get through all of this uh, just fine. <clears throat> we are, as you know, we are surrounded by people and churches that are streaming this morning and 
lots of uh, lots of folks have been uh, struggling with the virus, uh, believers that we know, and uh, so we're we're thankful. And I say this very sincerely: we're thankful that we're able to stay open. Uh, we appreciate everybody being patient and mindful of the standards that uh, we have established here. Our deacons are doing a tremendous job in, in uh, you know, keeping the balance between uh, uh, keeping everybody uh, on deck. And we, we're appreciative of everybody's efforts and patience in, uh, in getting it done. And that's the reason why I think that, uh, you know, we're able to continue to meet is because we're, we're separating in the right ways and, you know, just being patient with the standards that are given to us. And I, uh, like when it comes to making a, an announcement like I did last night on the, on the update, if you didn't get the email, I sent out an update. And uh, Brother Jonathan has been a great help, the medical group, the deacons. I consult all of them. I've talked to all the local pastors around. Uh, I've stayed in contact with them, especially those that have been sick and those that have new cases, and just trying to make sure that everybody stays safe, and I appreciate the communication with them. Uh, and we're, we're just trying to do everything we can to keep uh, the doors open and keep everybody fellowshipping together because it's just, it's, I mean, it's a great atmosphere, and we, I, I just love this. It's, it's uh, just a wonderful blessing to be able to come into the presence of the Lord with the people. And if we have to stream, you know, uh, well, you know, we'll thank God for the word that comes that way. I prefer this. I don't know about you. I prefer this, but uh, we want to do all we can to... Uh, to maintain that. Sister Tracy Rabin's not here. I wanted to mention also uh, Sister Janice Clark, uh, who attended our church a little bit. She lives over near Winston-Salem, and she was diagnosed with cancer just recently, and she called me and, and asked uh, if we would remember her in prayer. Also as well, uh, Brother uh, Donnie Reagan's daughter Erica uh, had a diagnosis where they found a spot on her liver, and they were convinced it didn't come from there, and so forth. So they sent out a request and asked that we remember her in prayer. That's Brother Donnie's youngest daughter, and and so we are remembering her in prayer. I believe she's doing some more testing uh, through this week. Also, as well, Brother Mike Wall's wife, Sister Waynette, uh, she had surgery this past week uh, for cancer, and uh, it was a, a rare uh, kind of a cancer, and they believe that. Uh, the operation was very successful, and so she was uh, doing very well. She was recovering, and uh, they asked us to remember her in prayer uh, as well. Uh, like Brother Jaron said this morning, uh, that uh, you know all these things that happen around us, they're all intended to drag our thoughts down. When he said that, I thought, ah, you know, that's a, that's a great way of saying it. There's so much out there to drag your thoughts down, to drag your uh, heart down and think, wow, what's next? And, you know, my goodness, it's, it, it seems hopeless almost, you know, uh, to be in the situation that we're in. But uh, I, will, I will tell you this. I believe that our God reigns, and I believe that he's still in control, and he knows exactly our every need, and we're thankful for that. But, you know, on top of all of that, we actually have some good news to share this morning. And believe it or not, uh, you know, he doesn't always get it right. But this week, Brother John Anthony got it right because he asked Sister Hannah to marry him, and she said yes. God bless you, John Anthony. She said yes. So we are very excited and thankful for them and uh, thankful for their families and 
I've been equipped. Let's stand to our feet. Let's take our Bibles. We're going to go to Psalm 68. I had about 20 places I needed to read from this morning at the beginning, so we'll just, uh, we'll just take this one. That'll be all right. July 21st is Titus Male's birthday. Titus, how old are you going to be? Six years old. He's getting it there. He's counting. Six years old. God bless you, Titus. Appreciate the males being with us. David and Carrie Whitlock have an anniversary on the 22nd. Right? Right. (laughs) How many years? 32 years. 32 wonderful years. God bless you, Sister uh, Carrie. And uh, David and Jesse Cockman also have an anniversary on the same day. And I don't know how many years. Do we know how many years? God bless them both. 20 years. Wonderful. God bless them. July 24th, the Jacksons. I see Jeff looking down that way, getting signals. <laughs> Numbers are flashing. How many? 21 years. God bless you, Brother Jeff, Sister Anna. We appreciate them very much and uh, trust that the Lord will bless all of you uh, on that special day. All right, we're looking in the Psalm 68 and verse 5. Uh, matter of fact, if you don't mind, let's read from verse 3. But let the righteous be glad. Let them rejoice before God. Yea, let them exceedingly rejoice. That's us, isn't it? That's us. Sing unto God. Sing praises to his name. And extol him that rideth upon the heavens by his name, Jah, and rejoice before him. A father of the fatherless and a judge of the widows is God in his holy habitation. God setteth the solitary in families. He bringeth out those that are bound with chains, but the rebellious dwell in a dry land. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated this morning. Now keep the Bible handy because we're going to look at a couple of things here. We're going to just very briefly review and then we're going to uh, jump in here and uh, see where the Lord takes us this morning. Now, we've been talking a little bit about this idea of fatherhood and a man being made in the image of God, and I trust it's been some, uh, somewhat of a help to you. Or some, uh, nobody's left anyway, so I, I take that as a bit of a signal. And uh, we know that, uh, to me, the, the, the days we live in present us with an extraordinary challenge for raising families in a godly way. Uh, it, it is important to God, and there's a lot in the Scripture. There's a lot in the in the uh, message about raising families correctly, and and making sure that we establish right priorities within the minds of those that are impressionable. And God gave you children that are naturally impressionable, and they're like uh, they're like blank slates <clears throat> that God gave you to write upon. <clears throat> and if you don't take the time to write good things on that slate, someone else will. Satan will jump in and do that job very quickly for you, and uh, he will write things that are very contrary to the things that the Holy Spirit would write on that slate. And so we, we have a very unique uh, and, a, and a very privileged uh, responsibility that's given to us uh, to shape our children, and it requires great wisdom and it requires great uh, determination, uh, requires a great sense of responsibility and understanding. And... Uh, we, we know that in the same way that God shapes us and God molds us and God teaches us and God trains us and brings us through the process of adoption, 
men who are made in the image of God also have that responsibility to train and uh, to mold and to shape and to bring children to the place of adoption, especially their sons, where uh, they can act as though the father would. And if, if you understand how important that is then, <clears throat> that if children are going to act in the way the father did, because that's what adoption brings out in a child, is for them to act in the way of the father, then we as fathers then, we have to look at ourselves and make sure, and check ourselves to make sure that we are doing things in a way that would please our Heavenly Father. Isn't that right? And so for, you know, in, in, in a real sense, this touches all of us because uh, if you're single here today and, uh, you know, you're, you're, even though you, some of you young guys looking at me here are not fathers, uh, I will tell you that if a girl is taught right, a single girl is taught right, she's going to be looking for these qualities that we're talking about in a man to help raise her family. She should be. She should be looking for more than just looks, charisma. Uh, she should be looking for more than just a singing voice and a good paycheck. She needs to be looking for the character that, that, uh, that shines because a man is actually made in the image of God and allowing the Holy Spirit to express those characteristics to the rest of the world. So she should be looking for that. It's nice if he's, you know, uh, handsome, charismatic, suave, independently wealthy. Uh, you know, and some of you guys I know are brimming with that. And uh, that's not a challenge for some of you. The independent wealth thing might be a, more of a challenge. But for most of you, the charisma and the swave and the, you know, just that singing voice and all the rest of it, it's not a, that's not a challenge at all. But when it comes to having really godly character, and especially godly character in difficult times, when, when things don't go your way or, you know, I mean, there might be some objection to things that you believe in or things that you want to do, uh, then, you know, it's having the real character of Christ uh, is something that, uh, you know, people are watching. Whether you realize it or not, people are watching. And even when you're married, even after you're married, you know, there's, there's, a, uh, <clears throat> there's a way that God has of bringing out character traits in you that you never thought were there. I never knew I had a temper till I, ha- temper till I had kids. And, uh, you know, whoa, hey, this, this is new, you know. Uh, I'm still blaming them for that. It had nothing to do with me. So that's why Solomon writes, and Solomon, being a family man as he was, he writes that through, through wisdom is an house builded, and by understanding it is established. And by knowledge shall all the chambers be filled with all precious and pleasant riches. A wise man is strong. Yea, a man of knowledge increaseth, increaseth strength. For by wise counsel I shall make war, and in the multitude of counselors there's safety. There's, there's nothing stronger than a wise man. A wise man is stronger than, uh, you know, a, a group of soldiers. And that's the idea that Solomon is conveying here. Because when, uh, when a man exercises the wisdom of Almighty God, then he has the resources of Almighty God behind him. And so he's a very powerful force to deal with. Now, I, I, I'm preambling, and Brother Branham sums it up here when he encourages us in the Feast of the Trumpets here uh, that, that we should continue to walk in the light of God's Word because it has a way of unfolding and revealing itself. So in other words, if God predestinated us for this time and knew that there would be unique challenges in this time, He also already knew that there would be resources that we could draw from in this time to be able to meet the challenges of the hour. Is that clear? So God knew that. 
And God never leaves us without resources. He, he gives us great things. As I mentioned on Wednesday night, uh, where Jesus uh, criticized the scribes and Pharisees for, and the lawyers for, for refusing to uh, allow the people to have the key of knowledge, the, you know, the, the, the real keys that allowed them into the deeper walk with Christ. I believe that we are that last stage that gets to have the mother load, if you like. We get to have that, uh, that excess, the, 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 the richness of God's word that other ages were not really able to tap into, but we are by God's grace. And so, therefore, we want to have all that God has for us and, and the resources that we have we want to utilize. It's a shame for us to have the resources at our disposal and not use them at all. So Brother Branham's advice to us is to keep walking. Just keep walking in the light. It'll unfold. God, God will show you what you need to know. God will show you where to get what you need to get. God will provide for you the things that you have need of. And he's never late. And his answers are always best. So there's never, there's never, there never should be a worry. Brother Bram says, stay right in that. Just keep walking with it and watch it unfold and reveal itself. So when it comes to issues like doctrine or when it comes to issues like uh, raising a family, when it comes to, uh, you know, your finances or whatever else, there are answers always within reach. I will tell you something that it, it is not, the answers are not found in just one portion of the message or one portion of, of the scripture. It, it, is, it is the entire book that we draw from. It is the entire resource of God or the mind of God that we draw from. Isn't that right? It, it is, it is uh, you know, every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, that's all we draw from. I, I, I found that over my years of observing different types of ministries and churches that maybe it's just entirely doctrine. And I know that I, I, I will, because I always have, received criticism for dwelling on a theme like this. Uh, because some people feel like, well, uh, you know, that's not the message and the seals are more important and the doctrines are more important. Uh, I will say this, that I don't disagree with that statement at all. I believe that the seals and the, and the, the doctrines of the message and the finer points of, of the mysteries and the theology of, of the whole thing, I, I believe those are very important. I believe they're very important. Somebody say amen. I believe we should value the, the understanding that we have of the mysteries of the Word of God. I, I love them, and I, I talk about them and minister to them. But, you know, I find that when people are fed just a steady diet of that and nothing else, and everything else is, is downplayed, you find, you find families being raised, and they don't even really know how to pray. They don't, know, they don't know how to make judgments about what's right or wrong. They don't know where to turn to when it comes to making decisions and choices for their young people. And as a result, they have a fallback. And the fallback is if they just come to church and just get the Holy Ghost, everything will be okay and they don't need to worry about anything else. In other words, in other words, and by saying that, not that that's wrong, because everybody should come to church and everybody should have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that right? But sometimes people will use that as a fallback and say... That, you know what, I'm going to absolve myself from the responsibility of getting involved in raising my children. I'm going to let the Holy Ghost do it. Well, guess what, bud? The Holy Spirit gave you those children. The Holy Spirit didn't keep them from himself, for himself. He knew better. He gave them to you. Because he wanted you to mold and influence those kids. And you need to have the wisdom of Solomon and the patience of Job and the finances of David in order to do that. But also, also, God wanted those children to mold you a little. And if you don't think your children mold you, they do. And if you don't think your grandchildren don't mold you, 
I'll see you after church in my office over here. I had all the grandsons this week, and we had boys' week. And I'll tell you what, it changes a man's perspective altogether when you have boys' week. Because every father should remember that one day his son will follow his example, not only his advice. So the example that we provide for our children is very, the examples that we provide for them are very, very important. And uh, so I want to I want to dwell on this uh, this morning just a little bit here, and I want to uh, I, I want to tackle uh, five aspects of a godly man. And it, we're not going to deal with all of these, but I want to uh, I want to just take a couple here this morning and talk a little bit about it, and just see how far we can go. And uh, I, I appreciate your your pulling on the gift, and appreciate your attentiveness here this morning. Now, the first thing that I, I wanted to say was that uh, these aspects of a godly man are not, this is not a complete list. But when you start to, uh, start to talk about these and, and talk about uh, expanding them a little bit, you'll see that there's just a lot encompassed in here. We learn a lot from the first uh, opening scenes of Genesis chapter 2 and 3 when God created a man in his own image there. And he made Adam a steward of the earth. He gave him dominion over the earth. He had a control. He also made Adam a husbandman, that he should take the earth and things should multiply under his dominion of the earth. He was not there just to give orders, but he was to tend the garden. And he was to take the things that were given into his hand and allow them to multiply and grow. In the same way that God's given, uh, you know, God's given a man a family, and that family is meant to grow, not only grow in numbers, but to grow spiritually as well. That a man is a, uh, he's a, he's a savior, and not a savior who died on the cross, because there is only one savior who died on the cross. But a man is in a position of, uh, in a sense, uh, sacrificing for his family and fighting for his family and defending his family. And he's one who his family should always be able to run to and turn to. I was impressed by a story that I heard. Uh, somebody had told, I heard it on the radio, and uh, this father was, uh, you know, proud to have his son work for the first time at a, at a particular job. And, and this boy was delighted to have the job. And after a while, it became common to him, like a lot of things do in life. And uh, he, he was in the warehouse, and he was a warehouse stocker, so he's bringing things from the warehouse out to the uh, store. And uh, he saw a, bunch, a box of softballs that were there. And he wound up taking six of the softballs and brought them home. He stole them from the store. And uh, he, he didn't really understand why he needed six softballs. As a matter of fact, he was puzzled himself at having six softballs because, uh, you know, you can't play with them all at once, but he thought... You know, there were six there in the box, so he took them all and, and brought them home. And, and he didn't really know what to do with them, so he hid them in his drawer, as if mom wouldn't find them in your drawer. Guys, remember, mom finds everything in your drawer, okay? Uh, whether she wants to or not, she's going to find everything in your drawer. So eventually she found the six softballs, showed them to the father. The father went and presented them to the son, and the son knew he'd been caught. And, and uh, my goodness, this is, you know... Uh, uh, a disaster for him, and he was ashamed and embarrassed. And, and again, he was still puzzled by why he had taken six softballs in the first place. And so the father uh, did what a good father would do. He put his son in the car with the softballs and took him down to the uh, store and made him go in and tell the manager what he had done. 
He didn't go in with his son. He stayed in the car and let the boy go in and tell the manager himself. And so when the manager heard the story and the boy told and confessed everything that he did, the manager just looked at him and said, you're fired. Fired the boy. And he left, and the boy was so broken and ashamed, and he was just feeling so despondent about things. And, and uh, on the way home, the son was just as uh, terrified of what his father was going to say to him on the way home in the car. But his father simply reminded him that when you lose something uh, like self-respect, he said it's a hard thing for you to get back. But he said you can earn it back. You can earn back your own self-respect. And you can earn back respect in the eyes of other people. And he says, uh, you know, uh, there, there's, a, there's a way to remedy situations like this. He said you did wrong. You pay for it because in this life we reap what we sow. And, and to me, that, the, the response of that father was a, was a great response. It was, it was the thing that he needed to do because the boy remembered long afterwards when the father died the boy remembered, he said, the ornament of grace, and this is what, the way he referred to it, the ornament of grace that that father wore that day. He didn't judge his son. He just tried to help his son navigate out of that place into a place now where he had learned the value of the lesson that had just taken place. And the boy's greatest fear over all of this was that his father, who was the only one who knew what took place in the manager's office and so forth, his greatest fear was that the father would tell his friends what actually happened. And the boy said, to his credit, to his dying day, when we, when we eventually buried him in the graveyard, he said he had never shared with anybody that conversation, never shared with anybody what happened in the manager's office. And so he knew that he had a father who could be uh, one who would protect him, even when he had done wrong. And I thought that was a great example of a, of a real father. And he said, uh, the, the other aspects here are sage or one that exhibits wisdom and then uh, man made in the image of God for the glory of God. For the scripture says in 1 Corinthians 11, for a man indeed ought not to cover his head for as much as he is in the image and glory of God. But the woman is the glory of the man. For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. This is a big deal. It's a big deal. Uh, and, and, and Paul carries it from the Old Testament right into the New. And he talks about this man operating as a product of the image of God. And so I want to deal with this this morning as well. Let's deal with, number one, the aspect of a man being the steward of the earth. Last Sunday morning, I talked about how that a man had, uh, was given dominion from the beginning. We also reference Malachi chapter 4, where God says that man will eventually have dominion over the earth again. He'll walk out of the stall on the ashes of the wicked when the earth is burned over uh, at the end of the, uh, the, end of the time when uh, the world is as it is today. And, and so we know that that's going to happen. A man will be restored back to a position of prominence and dominion in this world again. In the meantime, in the meantime, God never gives, in a sense, he never gives that, that direct commission to have dominion again uh, to mankind. But he does tell Abraham, for instance, he says, uh, Thy seed shall possess the gates of thine enemies. And so there's a bit of a difference, not much, but there's a bit of a difference between the idea of having dominion and, and having possession of something. And when you have possession of something, it means that nobody's going to come in and just, you know, uh, waltz in and take it from you without a struggle. A man's going to possess the gates of his enemy. He's going to, do, he's going to be aggressive against the things that are aggressive against him. And, and it's part of a man's design 
to take initiative and be productive. And God designed men to take the ground and to make progress and enlarge the realm of their responsibility. That's, that's a, a part of the nature of man to do that. To, to take ground, make progress, and alar- enlarge the realm of his responsibility. It, it's, it's in a man. It's, it's in a man to want to leave his father and mother's house and to enlarge his, his world, his life, to work, to ask a girl to marry him. God bless you, sister. Our prayer request just, our prayer list just got a little longer, but God bless you. It, it, nobody had to force John Anthony to do that. Nobody had to, Nobody had their foot on his back to, to get out, buddy, get a job, get a life, get a, get a woman. Nobody had to do that. It's inbred in a man. God, God somehow, uh, you know, causes a man to look at the mountain and say, my goodness, I wonder what's on the other side of that. A woman will look at the same mountain and say, wouldn't it be nice to have a house at the base of that? A nice little house. Well, you could put a yard here and put our, put our uh, kitchen garden here. A woman, would, she's content with that. A man would look at that and say, there's got to be something on the other side of that mountain. I've got to go. Got to get over on the other side. I said that to my wife the other day. We were somewhere celebrating our anniversary, and, and uh, there was mountains in the background. The whole time I was looking at them, I was thinking, wow, I wonder what's on the other side of those mountains over there. Even though I'm at a point where I really don't want to go anywhere, I'm content to be where I am. But yet there's just something in a man that, you know, God wants him to take ground, make progress, and enlarge the realm of their responsibility. Now, think a little more spiritually, though, because, uh, for instance, you know, in the early church, you remember when they were all gathered together and they all had things in common? They were all in the same church. Remember that? And, and God allowed persecution to come. God allowed trouble to come so that the, 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 the people, the believers, they were scattered. And all of a sudden now they were moving into other parts of the, uh, of the, of the region. And they were moving out from Jerusalem. They were all happy to be in Jerusalem until certain things happened. And then all of a sudden there's this scattering that goes on. Because it's God's intent for man to, to take ground, make progress, and enlarge the realm of their responsibility. God does, I mean, it's an easy thing for us to just kind of stay here and uh, be ourselves and be within our own four walls and just kind of cater to one another. But it's another thing for us to reach out to other people, uh, in, especially in times like this, to reach out to unbelievers and to witness to them and tell them about the good things that God has done, to tell them that there is a place of safety. To tell them that there is good news that they can hear and they can enjoy. To tell them that there is a remedy for the problems of this world. You, you folks that are out in schools and workplaces and, uh, you know, all, your communities, you're in, you're in a great spot today. I mean, because you interact with people out there who are not in the message uh, at all, don't know a thing of really about what we believe, but, but yet we, we have, a, uh, we have a, a resource, right? We have, a, we have a God that we serve that is real, and he's got a, he's got a place of Goshen for his people, and we believe that. We trust in that. And, and you know what? Hey, listen, in reality, come on, let's be honest. Despite this virus that we're dealing with, let's just say they create a vaccine or some other remedy for the whole thing. You know what? There's something else right behind it because we're living at the end of the world. So the solution to this particular problem, it really is not going to be the answer to all problems because we're living in a time when the whole thing is breaking up. So if there's not one thing, there's going to be something else. 
And we live in a time where not only the, the ravages of the physical things, but also the fear that's associated with it, that also comes out. And the instability of our society comes out as well. And the instability of our institutions, all of that kind of stuff comes out. And, and so we realize that all of the things that people would have their faith in are crumbling, but God has not left us to that. He's given us something far more firmer and far more stable than anything the world knows anything about. And guess what? You are the ambassadors of that to the rest of the world. You're the ones that ought to be carrying that message to the rest of the world and say, hey, there is a place you can turn. There is a God you can reach out to. And there is a, there is a resource that's available to you. How many would agree? God's put you in a position to actually give that message to the rest of the world. So even in, in, in times that we're living in, hey, it, it's, it, we have a realm of responsibility. We have a realm of influence. And God has actually uh, put, a, put something in us to be able to share what, what it is that uh, men need to do. We don't need to, we don't need to pretend that we're going to solve our problems with another election. We need to rather face the reality that there is no real peace or deliverance or future outside of Christ. Now, having said that, we talked about this whole idea of dominion and, and possession. And we used this positive example where Solomon had taken dominion over uh, over Israel, verse 24, if you look down in the, in the verse there, for he, had, uh, he, Solomon, had dominion over all the region on this side of the river, uh, over all the kings on this side of the river, and had peace on uh, all sides round about him. He was a man who uh, ruled his kingdom well, and God honored that because God was giving us this little glimpse into what it was going to be like in the millennium and in the future when God himself takes over the kingdoms of this world and it all comes back under his control again. So this is the one little glimpse that we get at the end of David's reign and into Solomon's reign where Solomon establishes the temple and all nations kind of flowed to it and uh, there is no war, there's no struggle or strife during that season of time. It doesn't last for long because this is, this is on this side of eternity and so God just allows us to know that it's possible when a person takes the right position and the right kind of uh, authority and control over what he's given, then God can honor that by, by bringing peace. And I believe that's the same thing as well when it comes to ruling a church or even ruling a business, ruling a nation, and ruling families. I believe that when we do the exercise the right kind of control and the right kind of headship and leadership, that God very often will honor that and bring peace to that household. Now, Satan will try to do whatever he can, bringing up your past. He'll try to bring in other influences. He'll try to cause disruptions that come from the outside, like what we're living in. And he'll try to do whatever he can continually to try to, try to keep the thing upset and therefore move you or distract you, or like Brother Jaron said this morning, to try to drag our thoughts down to a level where we're constantly fearful of natural things. Let me tell you, I, I, I tell you, what, I, I think it's great to be able to come to church and be reminded that there is a higher power. You know, we've been praying for Brother Jaron's dad, Keith Brown, and, and uh, his, uh, Brother Keith's mother, uh, who is 90 years old. 
Homer Brown's wife, and she's around 90 years old. I mean, she's pretty old. She's on the top of the pile when it comes to vulnerability for uh, this virus here. And they both are very sick in Florida, which, you know, I mean, Florida is what it is today. And, and uh, they both have been really struggling and, and not very well at all. And the other morning, Brother Keith's wife went in to look at uh, his, uh, Brother Keith's mother. They're in the same house, if I understand it right. She was unresponsive had no reaction whatsoever, just laying there with her eyes open still, not breathing, not doing anything at all. And she tried to rouse her and couldn't do it. And she was she jumped up in a flap and came out and got Brother Keith. Brother Keith, who's a pastor uh, in this message, been pastor for years, all his life, I guess, uh, uh, came, came and got Brother Keith. And Brother Keith rallied himself out of bed with just a little bit of strength that he had, uh, being as sick as he was, and went in and took her by the hand. And said, in the name of Jesus, he said, we're not going to let you go this way. We're not going to let you go this way. And she just revived right on the spot and just came back and responded to, to Brother Keith. Let me tell you, that's, as I said to you before, our prayers very often don't come out of the best atmosphere or the right atmosphere. Sometimes they got to come from somewhere else. We have an atmosphere in the church here this morning where I believe we could pray and, and, and have faith and believe that God can do things. And I, I, I'm, I'm, I, I think that's great that there's an atmosphere we can do it in. But sometimes the greatest miracles are done in some of the harshest conditions. And we don't need to always wait for the best atmosphere in order to exercise our faith. I believe God's given it to us to use on the battlefront and in the trenches where we live and going through all the things that we go through. How many can say amen? So... David says, keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins, and let them not have dominion over me. Now, the word presumptuous here is a very great word, and it's obviously important enough for David to say that he doesn't want to fall prey to them. And he says, then shall I be upright, and then I shall be innocent of the great transgression. The word presumptuous there is really a mental, uh, mental issue or an attitude that, that David does not want to fall into. And, and the presumption is that, uh, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a child of God, I've been chosen by God, and I've been uh, predestinated by God to be the king of Israel. And so therefore, I can assume that I'm, I'm somehow above the law or outside of the law that governs most other people. And David is actually praying that God uh, does not let him... Uh, does not let him fall into that trap of thinking the wrong way about the grace of God. Hey, folks, I think this is a great little lesson for our time. Uh, he's, it, it's, you can see it's easy to become overtaken by the wrong ideas and therefore be overtaken by the wrong spirit because you're feeling like, I don't have to listen to the rules, and I don't have to go by uh, the things that a prophet said, and I don't have to listen to the Scripture, or that doesn't apply to me, or somehow I'm above that. That's a very dangerous place to be. And David prayed that those, that those kinds of sins would not have dominion over him, but rather he said, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. So we have to be careful as believers that we don't let the wrong thing take dominion over, over us personally because it can. It can and it will if you give it the right opportunity. Now, here's another example. I've just given you some examples of this idea of dominion. In Exodus chapter 10, Moses and Aaron were brought again unto Pharaoh, and he said unto them, Go serve the Lord your God, but who are they that shall go? 
Now remember now, this is Pharaoh who said unto them, go and serve the Lord your God. That was the issue that, was, that created the contest in the first place. But who are they that are going to go? Who do you want to take with you? And Moses said, we will go with our young and with our old, with our sons and with our daughters, with our flocks and our herds, we will go, for we must hold a feast unto the Lord. And he, Pharaoh, said unto them, over my dead body. That's, I'm paraphrasing here, the gospel according to Brother Barry. Let the Lord be so with you as I will let you go and your little ones. Look to it, for evil is before you. Translated, over my dead body, you're going to take everybody. You're not going to do it. He said, in other words, you're going to need God with you if you think you're going to leave here with all your young ones and take everybody with you. He says, for, he says you're, you're, you're thinking crazy. Not so. Verse 11, not so. Go now, ye that are men, and serve the Lord, for that ye did desire. And they were driven out from the, from the presence of Pharaoh. Let me just give you a little other uh, translation of the Bible here that brings that out. Okay, so you just know it's, I'm, not, I'm not making it up. Moses, no, I, know, I know you don't think I'm making it up. So Moses and Aaron brought back to Pharaoh. And they said, all right. And he told them, go and worship your, uh, the Lord your God. But who exactly will be going with you? And Moses replied, we will all go, young and old, our sons and our daughters and our flocks and our herds. We must all join together in celebrating a festival to the Lord. Later on, stop. Later on, Moses had said to Pharaoh, we don't know what God will, will require in worship. So we want to bring all of our flocks and herds. We want to take everybody because uh, we operate as a family, a family of God, and we operate within families and tribes. And so therefore, we all want to go because uh, the way that God wants us to worship, uh, you know, we, we don't want to do half halfway and uh, we don't want to do it part way. We want to do we want to do it with everybody because that's the way believers or followers of Jehovah. That's the way they worship. We serve the same God today, I believe. He's the same yesterday, today and forever and loves it when we all worship together. Isn't that right? So Moses and, and, and Aaron, they had, a, uh, they had this, this uh, condition, if you like. They, they laid it down f- before Pharaoh. They said, if one goes, we all go. We're not leaving our young people behind. We're not leaving our daughters and our sons behind. That, that ought to be the heart's cry of every one of you parents that are here today. That, that uh, hey, I, I'm not interested in, in going on without my sons and daughters. I'm going to claim them. I'm, I'm going to lay them before the altar. I'm going to hold on to them. I'm going to believe for them. I'm going to trust God for them. And I'm not going to let any Pharaoh take dominion over my sons and my daughters, nor am I going to let any Pharaoh have dominion over the way that I worship. We worship according to the dictates of our God. He's the one who communicates well. And clearly to us, and that's the way we're going to do it. And we're not going to have some Pharaoh dominate over us and tell us what we are and what we're not going to do when it comes to worship God. And one of the conditions we have, and if we need to spell it out, we will, but one of the conditions that we have is that we take our young people with us and we are not willing to leave any of them behind. And I don't know about you, but that's the way I feel about my grandchildren, about my children. That we're not, hey, we're, we believe we're going on to a millennium. We're leaving here in this third and final exodus. And we're not at all going to entertain the idea of leaving any of our young people behind. We want to take them with us. We're determined to take them with us. And Pharaoh retorted and said, The Lord certainly will need to be with you if I let you take your little ones. I can see through your evil plan. Never. Never. Only the men can go and worship. 
the Lord, and since then it is, since that is what you requested, and Pharaoh threw them out of the palace. Throw them out of the palace he might, but it didn't change the resolve that Aaron and Moses had. Now, take your Bible, and let's take a look at Joshua, the first chapter. Joshua, the first chapter, I think for every pastor, is a really great chapter, a really great reminder of some important principles. Even though I don't liken myself to a Joshua, I do liken myself to a minister of the gospel who came after a major prophet. And that's what Joshua was. And God reminded him of something that I believe is good for us to remind ourselves of. Verse 2, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore rise and go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, unto the land which the Lord give, uh, which I do give to them, even the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your feet shall trod, that I have given you, even as I said to Moses. And from the wilderness in this Lebanon, even unto the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and unto the great sea toward the going down of the sun, shall be your coast. God reminds uh, Joshua, again, of the boundaries of the land and make sure that he understands that it's all his because God has said so. It's all his because God has said so. You are in a land. You're, you're stepping into a land now that is mine because I said so. And you have the power to possess that land because I have said so. And you have invincibility over any man or any force that will oppose you because I have given it to you. You have life and strength and the ability to resist and defend because I have spoken. You are what you are because of my spoken word. You are what you are because I said it. And therefore, this land, this promised land, which to them was a physical property, a physical space that God gave to them, it was a symbol of their inheritance, right? It was the inheritance of the children of God. It was what God had promised to Father Abraham, and now they're the people who are receiving it. But remember now, uh, Joshua is the leader of a whole generation that followed a whole generation of unbelievers, right? And, and, and he's reminding them that, that you, this is your land, this is your inheritance, and despite what anybody else may have felt about the promise, you are the people that are going to possess it. And every bit of it is yours because I've said so. Every bit of it is yours because of my word. And so therefore, your success and your blessing and your possession of that land and your development of that land and the peace of that land all depends on what I have said and what I have promised. But you are the hands now that are going to carry that out. You're the hands that are actually going to do it. You're the ones that are responsible to go in there and express your faith in God's word and the truth of what I have said. It's not good enough for me just to say it, but you've got to now have the faith to believe that what God said actually is true. And this is what this is indeed what God said to Father Abraham. And now you've got to be the ones to roll up your sleeves and go in and possess the land. And you're the ones that have got to exercise that faith 
Beyond the generations that disbelieved it. You're the ones now that have to, listen to me now, you have to have the faith to go in and actually take that land and call it your own and develop it and, and, and bless it and grow things in it and build businesses in it, build your houses in it and set up the inheritance of your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren in it and have pasture land and have all the heaven because it's your land because I said so, but it's not going to be good enough for me just to say it. You've got to actually go in and possess it. And that's what he means in, in, the, uh, in, in, the land, in verse 3 when he says that every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon have I given you uh, as I said unto Moses. So your confession, listen now, your confession of this leads to your possession. Your confession leads to a possession of this land. You've got to, out of, the, out of the depths of your heart, you've got to believe that this is actually true before we go in there. Because they're not in there yet, but they're on, they're on the border of this land. And they're moving across the Jordan River now. They're, they're about to take the land. They're not there yet, but they're about to take it. So you've got to, you've got to understand that before we go in, let's establish this one thing. You are here and you're still alive because of my spoken word. My predestinated plan, you're here because of that. You're here by the grace of God this morning. Come on, somebody say amen. We are here by the grace of God. We're not here because we're smarter or richer or more spiritual or we had a better background than somebody else. You're here because of the predestinated plan of Almighty God. And by His grace that forgives you of your sins and pulls you out of the world and sets you in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's why we're here. And we have promises, we have our inheritance laying ahead of us, which we don't have yet, but we're on the edge of it right now, but we don't have it yet. But hey, before we go any further, let's establish the fact that it's not good enough that you sit here and hear the promises. You've got to be the generation, despite all the disbelief before you, you are the generation that stands there and says, I believe that what God has promised is actually true, and I believe that we are going to possess that land. I believe we're going to cross over and step into our new bodies on the other side. We have the promises of the promise of the promised word for our day, and we thank God for that. I believe that those are given to us to raise faith and build faith so that we can take the final steps out of this kingdom of this world and into the kingdom of glory with new bodies. But it's going to do you no good to sit here and just hear great promises and great stories and great testimonies of other people doing it. I believe that we are the generation that God has raised up to now take the land. To now take the land that God has ahead of us. Right? Are we okay? So I need you to read on with me just a little bit further here. And he says in verse 5, There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so will I be with thee. I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. I want everybody to read that last little portion again. I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. Read it again with me. I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. I will not fail you. I know what I've said. I know the plan here. I know the future. And I know the kind of opposition you've got ahead of you. But nonetheless, we're going to make it. Because I have said. And I will not fail you. Only be thou strong. Sorry, verse 6, be strong and be of good courage, for unto this people shall thou divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. It's interesting that he says this over and over again, be strong and be of good courage. He never tells them how. Verse 7, only be thou strong and be very courageous that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded thee. 
and turn not from it to the left hand, right hand to the left. Thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein. Hold it. Be strong, be of good courage, which he says over and over again. He says it again in verse 9. Have not I commanded thee, be strong and be of good courage? That all of this surrounds this verse 8, which says that this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, and thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. That thou mayest observe to do. Say that with me. To do. Not just to know. Not just to hear, but to do, according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. It seems like that good success and prosperity in the scriptural sense, not in the televangelist sense, but in the scriptural sense, is linked to to your obedience or your faithfulness to the law of God. And that, my friend, is linked. I'm still in verse 8, but I'm going backwards. That is linked to you observing the law that it shall not depart out of your mouth and you shall meditate therein day and night. Have any of you ever lost a night's sleep because you had something on your mind going over and over again and it's just, I mean, it's just, you can't get rid of it and it's stronger than your sleep. And, 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 I mean, you're tossing and turning all night, and you're thinking about it, and you, do, you don't come up with any solution, really. And, I mean, it's just frustrating as all get out. You wonder, why can, how can everybody else sleep? How can my husband snore so loud at a time like this when I'm thinking about this? And, and uh, you know, let's see your hands. Anybody ever done that? Even if you don't have a snoring husband next to you? You know what that is? That's meditating. You're meditating on something all night. Now what we've got to do is change the content. Instead of worrying about something stupid, you have to think about something that's profitable or that comes from God's Word. Strong enough to rob you of your sleep. Strong enough to, to be able to push everything else aside. Nothing else is happening except me dwelling on that particular point. And in the morning, you know what? It may even be gone. But all night long, it just occupied our mind, it occupied our thoughts, everything we thought about, everything we rationalized, everything we, we, we went over and conjured in our mind, all was centered on that one thing. That's the strength of that word that uh, Moses or Joshua has been given right here, that you should meditate upon it day and night. And this is the kind of thing that God wants you to keep his word before you, because it's through that spoken word, it's through that word that God gives, and your obedience to it, that will cause you to actually possess the land, that will cause you to actually be prosperous and successful. That's the reason that it happens. There's a reason why this is told to Joshua like it is. Now, I need you to think about this for a moment now. I want to expand that and just jump to the New Testament for a moment here. When, when, when Jesus came among the people and they saw the miracles and they saw the supernatural element of his ministry, um, there's nobody in the Bible, there's no letters in black there that say after Jesus did a miracle that they said, that's not supernatural. They might have said that's of the devil or that's, you know, somehow or another that's of God or whatever else. But none of them said that's not supernatural because they realized there's another power working here somehow. 
right? And they were puzzled by this because it's only, it's only one of two kingdoms that are reaching into this kingdom to accomplish this. One is the kingdom of darkness. And if it is indeed the kingdom of darkness, we don't need to bother with Jesus at all. We'll go on about our business. He's just another false charlatan that has showed up in town. But if it is the kingdom of God that is reaching into this world and performing things and letting us know that, that God is the same and he still has the same power, the same one who is Jehovah Jireh in the Old Testament is still the one that's alive today. And, and the promised Messiah back there, that's still the same one who lives today. And if that's the one that, uh, you know, parted the waters through the Red Sea, that, that, if, if, if that God still lives and he's doing things like this, turning water into wine, my goodness, we then owe something to that God and to that kingdom. Isn't that right? So their choice was either one or the other, and they had to discern or figure out uh, what, which kingdom this actually was. I need you to hold on now. You say, Brother Barry, is this going to help me be a good father? Yeah, it will. Just hold on. <clears throat> Whenever the kingdom of God overlaps into this kingdom, and God manifests his word, and you can embrace that, that actually is you possessing your inheritance already. Let me, let, me, let me use the scripture here to illustrate this way. If Satan, Jesus said to them, if Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. And how shall his kingdom stand? So it's either one kingdom or the other now, reaching into this world. And if I by Beelzebub cast out devils, by whom do your children cast them out? Therefore, they shall be your judges. But if, what if it's the other kingdom? If I, if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has actually come unto you. It's either one or the other. And if I can cast out devils by the Spirit of God, and I've come from the lower kingdom, then you know what? This is all a bunch of confusion, and just leave it alone. Satan will destroy himself. But if I cast out devils, then Jesus is categorically telling us that this is actually the kingdom of God come unto you. Now, Healing, for instance, just as an example, divine healing is something that comes from the kingdom of God. It comes from God, right? He's the healer. He's Jehovah Rapha. He's the, he's the healer of our sicknesses. He's the one who, uh, you know, is able to uh, mend the, the broken body. And he's able to, you know, open the blind eyes and all the rest of it. We, we, we don't have any problem believing that. You know why? Because that kingdom, from that kingdom, We've been touched in our world through a prophet who made the promise of healing very real to us in our time. And as you believe that, as you embrace that, and as you practice that, you're actually embracing a portion of that kingdom already, even in this earth. So in a sense, a portion of that kingdom is already here, and that's why... When they asked Jesus in Luke chapter 17, they said, show us the kingdom. He said, the kingdom is within you. You don't need to go there in order to see the things of God. You can see them here as God opens them up by your obedience and your belief of his word. Are we okay? 
You don't need to go there to see evidence of the kingdom of God. Open your heart when God opens that promise here and you can possess that land. Listen, wherever the soles of your feet trod, that's yours. Come on, folks. In this last day, God opened up the promise of divine healing. I put my foot on that. I believe that. You know what that is? That's a portion of the kingdom that, that is yours now already. I believe that he's a resurrector of the dead. I'll put my foot on that. Come on, we know folks that were right there in the meeting when uh, Edmund Way was raised from the dead. Brother Bram's preaching here and Brother Way falls out dead and his wife's a nurse and she looks at him and says, he's clinically dead, he's absolutely dead. And and Brother Bram goes down, lays hands on him, and even though he's uh, criticizing and rejecting, uh, you know, the the word of the Lord, Brother Bram says that God just showed mercy on him and his eyes rolled back in his head and he's raised right back up on his feet again. In the same way that uh, Brother Keith's grandmother down there, uh, you know, raised up from a state of no response here. And all, hey, listen, you know what that is? That's us possessing our kingdom. If we didn't believe it, we never practice it. But when you believe it, you practice it because you believe that's a part of the kingdom that I'm a part of. You don't need to be there to practice the principles of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God has come unto you. And our belief, our heart tells us that. Believe that God sent a prophet. I'll put my foot on that. I believe that that's true. That's a promise of God in the Scripture. I'll claim that. I'll claim that one day our bodies will be changed. I'll claim that. And all of the things that we've experienced in this life, it builds us faith to put put our footprints all over the Word of God, to put our footprints all over the Scripture and claim the things that God has given to us. And wherever the soles of your feet shall trod, that shall be your possession. You say, well, I can't live a holy life. I say this, it's not within our power to live a holy life ourselves. There's absolutely no way that you can do it. But I will say this, by the power of the Holy Spirit and by the grace of God, I believe when He comes in, He guides us and checks us and corrects us and steers us away from the wrong things and allows us to participate in right things so we can live a holy life. It's not possible by my strength or my determination, but I believe it's possible through Christ. Who strengthens me? I'll put my foot on that. I believe that paying tithes are still in season. I'll open the windows of heaven. I'll put my foot on that. Yes, sir. Not prosperous like televangelism tells us, but you know what? Your obedience to the Word of God. Every time you do it, you're putting your footprints on something. Hey, this is my land. This is my land. And you know what? God's given you possession of that land. One day we'll have dominion over it, but now He's given us possession of it, and that means that Satan cannot push you off what you possess in the same way that Satan cannot push them off. The land when Joshua brought them in, Satan could not push them off. They possessed that land. That's what it means for a man to be a husbandman of his household. For a man to be a lord of the earth, to, to actually take responsibility, to expand the range of his domain or his responsibility, to lead his family on the ground that God has promised for this last day, to say that, hey, listen, we, we've, 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 we've arrived at HBT. I have news for you. HBT is not the end of the, of the journey. It's not the end of the road. We still have a ways to go. We still, have a, we still have more ground to possess. Isn't that right? You still got more places to put your foot. 
And God's opening up that way, and God is showing us that way. And that's what the Word of God should be doing, especially as things get narrow, and we walk down a narrower path all the time. We're not here for convenience, and we're not here because it's the easier way, and we're not here because we got it all figured out. We're here because we believe that God has predestinated us to be here and to walk all the way out of this world into another world, and that kingdom has already overlapped into this one, and we believe that our God is real. He's not just in a fog somewhere, but He is actually real. He's alive, and He's one who's leading us these last few steps of the way. Glory to God. Jesus possessed that land. Jesus put his foot on all those promises. Even the ability to know what's right and what's morally acceptable to God is a great thing. You remember back in the book of Genesis after, uh, after Adam and Eve sinned. And uh, it, it almost, this, this verse always kind of struck me uh, a little bit strange, almost like God feared man. Because after Adam and Eve sinned, um, you remember the verse, and I, I don't have it right here in front of me, but he says, now man, man can know good or evil. You know, what, what's, what's he not capable of now that he knows good and evil? After, after they fell. <clears throat> but I will tell you something that the moral truth of the Scripture is such that God has always been the one to determine what's good and what's evil. And now that man had fallen in the Garden of Eden, and he says, now that they have partaken of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, they'll know good and evil. In other words, what the Hebrew actually says, and I learned this from a Jewish person, what the Hebrew actually says is that now man has entered into that place where he wants to make judgments about what's good and what's evil. And if man begins to do that, He's not going to choose what I would choose. But he's still going to call that thing good that I would not call good. That should not be hard for any of us to believe in our day that that's where we've come to. That people in our world will call things that are truly, inherently evil, good. And it's reverse of what God would actually do. So in other words, from the Garden of Eden, God is saying... This is going to turn out bad because now man has, the, man has touched the tree of knowledge of good and evil and now he's going to begin to judge what's good and what's evil. So with this fallen nature and having touched the tree of knowledge of good and evil, in other words, they've already entered into something here that gives them that inspiration about good and evil and their own interpretation of good and evil, this isn't going to come out right. Because you by yourself are not going to be able to identify truly what's good and what's evil, what's good for you and what's not, what's right and what's wrong. Inherently, we often don't pick what's right. Hey, listen, ask your children. Tell them what, ask them what they want to have for, give them, say, I'm giving you the money. You can have whatever you want for lunch. Guess what they'll do? They'll, if they're kids, they'll want candies. Right? If they're teenagers, they want 
You know, you have fast food, but what's the round things that are with the pastries what, you know, and the jam in them? Crustables. <laughs> I was going down to the store a little while ago and I came down the frozen aisle and, wow, wow, this must be what they were talking about, crustables. So I took a selfie. That's funny in itself. What was funny was the people watching me take a picture in front of the Crustables and, and wondering, why would this guy? Anyway, they move on. Leave children or teenagers and say, here's the money. You pick whatever you want. You know what they would do. They would pick something that they would, would satisfy the, the, the want, but it really wouldn't be good for them. The idea here in the Garden of Eden is the same thing. God, in a sense, he's saying, all right, the the Pandora box is open now because they've got a knowledge of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. They have a knowledge of intimacy, you know, in in the wrong way. They've got all this other knowledge that's here. And, And without the character and without the Holy Spirit to guide them into what truly is right and what truly is wrong, this thing is going to go downhill. And it did. Because right away, Cain kills Abel, right? And it doesn't get any better after that. As a matter of fact, 2,000 years later, God has to destroy the earth because man is making such poor decisions about everything that God can't deal with them anymore. You'll never be the right kind of steward. You'll never be the right kind of minder of your garden unless you have guidance that comes from God. You leave teenagers alone together as boyfriend, girlfriend. You leave them alone. Good things are probably not going to happen without the Holy Ghost. Even with the Holy Ghost, it's a hard thing to do to maintain a standard and a separation that needs to be. Yeah, It's possible. By God's grace, it's possible. I'm here to tell you that the first time I kissed my wife was at the altar. And I'm not saying that boastfully. I'm just saying that you can't say it's not possible. My sister, who doesn't have the Holy Ghost, she said, it's not possible. How can you do that? And I said, well, we either believe it or we don't. And either the Holy Spirit works on our behalf or he doesn't. Either he lives or he doesn't. Either we, you know, I mean, we're either in or out. You know, I mean, one or the other. But if that's what, if that's what the boundary marker has been put in place by, not by me, but by God, if that's where the boundary marker is, then you know what? If, if, if I violate that, I've taken the decision about good and evil into my own hands. And that only results in things that God will condemn. That's why self-justification is such a, a, tricky, a tricky thing. Because we're good and we're quick at justifying all kinds of things in our own minds about what we do. After all, I mean, very seldom do we convince ourselves that we're wrong. Most times we spend our energy convincing ourselves we're right in doing what we're doing. We're, 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 we're just in making the decisions that we do. And, and so, therefore, God is understanding this, that without the Holy Spirit in your life, without, without the presence of God in your life, you, you can never really truly father uh, your children in a right way in guiding them into all truth and guiding them into the things that they really have need of if you don't possess it yourself. And so this whole idea of a man being made in the image of God, he's got to have, he's got to have that reflection of God in his life, or he's not going to really be able to convey the kingdom to his children, because when he conveys the image of God to his children, then you know what? When children obey that, 
they also have just inherited a portion of the kingdom. Let's stand on our feet. He's a God who cares about the widows. He's a God who cares about your household. He's a God who cares about everything that happens in your life. How many would agree? He's a father of the fatherless. He's a judge of the widows. And and a judge there, meaning he's an, an advocate. He's one who settles the solitary in families, and he brings those that are in chains, he brings them out. In other words, he lets the prisoners go with singing. That's what the the Hebrew actually says. He lets the prisoners go with singing. I would tell you something. (laughs) That's That's exactly what he's done for us. That's exactly what he's done to us. But I believe that when a man serves God, his whole household and everything underneath it, they can, they can be blessed. They can refuse it and they can turn away from it. And we can't guarantee that and say, all right, you know, your father and mother believed the message, so you're going to believe the message as well. We can never determine that. But I will tell you something, that when a man's ways please the Lord, he can bless that entire household. And they can, without even realizing it, they can be under a blessing that is so unique and so specific in this, in this time. That, uh, that, you know, it, it would be an easy thing, really, for, for us to take it for granted. Because, you know, we've, we've been raised this way. We live this way. And sometimes it's good for us to realize that, <clears throat> that uh, in, in services like this and times like this, when we look back in the Scripture, that God has created this place for us and allowed us to be able to see and taste a portion of the kingdom as it, as it spills over into this world. That kingdom reaching out to this kingdom. And as you embrace it and as you believe it, let me tell you, the kingdom opens up to you. You've, you've actually got a portion of your inheritance. We're not going over there to get divine healing. We've already got divine healing now. You believe that? We're not going over there to get peace. If you're truly born again, we have peace already over here. We're not going over there to get a spirit of worship. I believe a spirit of worship. I believe it's here today. You believe that? There's already things that exist in that kingdom that have spilled over into this kingdom, and they're yours by virtue of your obedience and your acceptance. I, think it's, I just think it's a wonderful thing. And for men who are made in the image of God, let me tell you something. They just, they just pick up on those things, and they just, they just love the Lord with all their heart and, and uh, embrace those things as they come to us because there is, there is no other kingdom for us. I mean, our hearts are in tune with that kingdom more and more. And that's the way I want to die. If I, if I die, I want to I leave this world with my, with my face pointing that way. Like Brother Jaron said again, it's easy, to, it's easy to, to let circumstances drag your thoughts down and drag your emotions down, drag your hope down, drag your joy down, drag everything down when we begin to look at circumstances. But you know what? When... When Joshua was going into the promised land, God just simply said to him, be strong, be of good courage. Be very strong. Be of good courage. You have great things opening up for you. have great things ahead of you. You're not an army. There's armies over there. We, some of them came back and said, we're like grasshoppers in, in their sight. Hey, listen, God said, be strong. Be of good courage. Be encouraged. 
It's yours. I've already spoken it. Your job now is to exercise the faith in what it is that God has said. You're the generation that's called to do that. Let's sing. This is my desire.
overcomers in this life. We've been made, made victorious through the blood of Jesus Christ. Sing it again now.
Father, as we pause, Lord, at the end of this service, our, our heart's desire, Lord, is to, to reflect your image, Lord, to our own families and to expand our area of responsibility, taking responsibility in the domain that you have given to us. Lord Jesus, we know that the enemy, he comes in like a flood and he tries to, tries to limit us in whatever way he can. He tries to take away the rights, the promises of your people. Even though, Lord, he cannot take away our standing as sons, Lord, he can try to intimidate us from possessing our land and possessing the promises that have been given to us. But Lord Jesus, you have reached out from your kingdom to ours. Lord, you have reminded us that these promises are true. They're real. In the same way, Lord, that you reached out through Moses and promises, Lord, that laid ahead for the children of Israel. Lord, you reinforced them even before they crossed the River Jordan. They knew that they were theirs by virtue of your spoken word. Lord, for the people now who believe, for us who who actually practice your word, and we, we, we live for these for these revelations, Lord, of your promises. Father God, they're, they're as real to us as if we were already there on the other side. You've proven, Lord, that your word is true. You've proven that your word is real. Lord Jesus, we know you are a savior. We know you are a deliverer. We know, Lord, you're one as a joy giver. You're a, you're a healer. You're, you're everything to us, Lord. You're already that. We don't need to go to heaven to, to realize that. We know that now. We believe that now. And we trust, Lord, that if those promises are true, then everything else you have uttered, everything else you have expressed is also true. And, Lord, it builds faith in our hearts, Lord, because one day we shall take that land. One day we shall cross over. Lord, we want to be the kind of people that walk over in the image of God. Father, we just the fathers to you today, and Lord, for their position of leadership in their families. Lord, nobody can take their place. You have ordained it this way. Nobody can take their place. And I just pray, Lord, you give them strength today. Lord, I pray also for those who are sick and very needy among us. Lord, we think of folks that are dealing with serious situations. And, Lord, their needs are great. But you're a God who knows and understands all about every situation. We think of Ben and Rachel Pritchard today and their family, Lord, and how we miss them. Sister Carol and Cross family. Lord, so many others. And we think of Sister Jessie in the hospital today, Lord. Pray that you would just ease her pain, Lord. And not only that, but give her the comfort of your presence, Lord. May your angels just encamp around about her. Give her that peace that passes understanding. We think of, Lord, of Sister Walls and for Erica Reagan and so many others, Lord. And God, we know you're never overwhelmed by the amount of requests and petitions we give to you. But you taught us to cast all of our cares upon you because you care for us. Bless Brother Steve today in Virginia, Lord, and the drums and the pascals and Brother Keith and just all of those, Lord, that we know and are reaching out to you today. Father, we know that your grace is always sufficient. Lord, you always have a right answer. You're omnipotent and you know, you always know what's best. You'll never give a fish for a stone. You always give us what's best. And now in the name of Jesus, I commit the people to you. I pray that you would just bring deliverance where it's needed and your healing touch, Lord, to those who are reaching out for it. We 
ask all of these things in the precious and holy name of Jesus. Jesus I really want to see. It's Jesus I really want to see. what's important. That's what's real. We thank you all for coming today and may the Lord bless you. And if you want to linger just a little bit and sing, you're welcome to do that. Um, we're just glad to have all of you here today and uh, for our visitors. And Brother Butts, God bless you. Comes from good stock. And make sure you greet your parents for me. Still rejoicing over the testimony of your mom being healed from cancer and uh, known Sister Alana for a long, long time. Baptized your grandfather many, many years ago. God bless you. Good to have you with us. And uh, Wednesday night we have uh, our service on broadcast, so uh, we'll be looking to see you there. And then, uh, if you don't mind, remember the folks that are needy uh, today, those that need a healing touch. We have Sister Anna and Brother Ethan here today. And, uh, for all of you that are here, I believe the rest of the Pritchard family are uh, in the wings. And good to have all of them here today. John and John Anthony, you did it. You did it, Sister Anna said, yes, you did it. Who knew? God bless you both. Pray that the Lord will bless your days ahead and all your planning and, and uh, help you save money. May God bless you. Great to have uh, this time in his presence today, and so may the Lord richly bless you. And We uh, love to be able to put... My arms around and hug all of you and shake your hand and so forth, but uh, know that we love you and appreciate each and every one of you for being here today. And uh, we just appreciate our time together in His presence. And 
the times that we can get together, they, they're more special. These days that we come together. And so we're, we're honored, honored to be identified with you. May God bless you. Father, we thank you for our time in your presence. And how special it is, how precious it is. You are good. Your word is true. May we be the generation now that exhibits faith in your word, moving towards the kingdom with each passing day. Each passing day. In Jesus' name we pray. Bless the people. Heal the sicknesses. Strengthen those that are weak and encourage the discouragers. We dismiss the people into your hands. In Jesus' name. Sing this as you go this morning. There's an army.